Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read-through, and the breakdown, and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an here at Qadam Institute podcast. Bismillah, walhamdulillah, assalatu wassalam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah. Continuing on with our discussion, our class, alhamdulillah, we are now on verse number 30. Alhamdulillah, the goal today, inshallah, is to reach, let's see, um, yeah, so inshallah, we want to reach uh, at least to verse number 35, inshallah, today. So we'll do five verses today. So, Alhamdulillah, we left off on ayah number 30, um, and we were kind of discussing to refresh everyone's minds, we were discussing the entire concept, the story of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam having this temptation in front of him, and then him obviously repelling it and, 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 and putting it away from his mind and his heart. And that way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him from it. We discussed how the prophets of Allah were all considered a word called ma'asum, which means to be protected uh, against most major or minor sins. Uh, that these people were people who Allah ta'ala uh, handpicked to be his, uh, his awliya, his, 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 his friends and representatives on earth. And so these anbiya of his were people who were protected from a lot of the things that would normally ail the human heart like yours and mine. Um, and so after he had denied this, we spoke last week about how he had uh, ran straight to the door after he asked Allah for his help and she tore his shirt from behind as a means of trying to keep him away from spilling the truth. And then ultimately at the door ended up being Sayyidiha, right? Her husband. Um, and he you know, asked, you know, what's going on here? And she immediately sought uh, you know, uh, some sort of cover up for the story. And she said, how would you, uh, what, what punishment would be befitting of a person who tries to do X, Y, and Z with your own spouse? Um, and uh, is there anything uh, that would be uh, fitting of this, uh, this crime other than imprisonment or a serious, serious punishment, right? And then we talked about how that shahida shahidun min ahliha, right? The, 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 the witness from the witnesses of her family, and we said that the majority opinion was that it was actually, or a strong opinion was actually that it was this small baby that used to live in the palace grounds, who spoke miraculously and testified for the, the, the innocence of Prophet Yusuf salam, saying that if his shirt was torn from the front, he is indeed the one who is lying, and that if his shirt is torn from the back, she is the one who is lying, and ultimately the shirt was being torn from the back, as we all know, and so she was deemed as the liar. And the verses that we finished off with last week was when her, when her husband said to her, Ask Allah for forgiveness, and he told Yusuf alayhi salam, "A'rid an hadha," meaning, do not, you know, elaborate or publicize this thing that just happened. If she is a sincere repenter, then keep the sin uh, in privacy and do not expose it to the public. But as we all know, and I touched about, you know, touched this last week just a little bit, how human nature is to spread. News, right? This is something that is common with a lot of people, whether you're old or young, man, woman, it doesn't matter. There's this huge temptation as a human being to try and spread 
very, very juicy news when you hear it, right? You want to tell the person next to you. And there's a lot of different reasons for this. The scholars uh, of, of our tradition have elaborately spoken about this, why backbiting and gossip is such a, you know, it, it's such a profound uh, test and challenge for the human heart. There are many different reasons why people gossip and backbite, of them being that they find some sort of happiness from it, that they are, you know, they, they lack confidence in their own life, so that's why they feel like they have to talk about other people. There's this kind of attention-seeking behavior that people uh, really, really want and desire in their life, and so when they feel like they have nothing to say to anybody else, they have other people come together and they speak about other people to them in order to essentially, um, you know, uh, create some sort of pull with, with, with their social lives. And this is, you know, there's an elaborate, you know, studies done upon this. And inshallah, this is something that we can, you know, touch upon later on at a, at a more befitting time. So verse number 30, we're going to get to verse number 30 now, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions, وَقَالَ نِسْوَةٌ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ امْرَأَةُ الْعَزِيزِ تُرَاوِدُ فَتَاهَا عَنْ نَفْسِهِ قَدْ شَغَفَهَا حُبًّا إِنَّا لَنَرَاهَا فِي ظَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ The women of the city, they heard about this crime or this test, this, 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 this attempt of, of this wife of, of the, 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 the Aziz, that she tried to seduce Prophet Yusuf salam, And so all the women in, in the city were trying to talk about why she had done so. And I remember I had mentioned this as we left off last Wednesday, was that one of the alternative motives, according to some of the scholars, was that they wanted to actually speak and, and, and spread gossip in hopes of Zulaikha herself finding out so she would invite them to her home to see exactly what they were gossiping about. And so I remember I, I told everybody that the surah is very heavily revolving around the idea of, 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 of plotting and planning. That, that, that in the surah it proves that human beings have a very conniving side to them as well. Just as much as we have a good side, we also have the ability to be very, very conniving if we go the wrong way. And so this is an example of that. So they're talking about her. They're saying, how could she do such a thing? She tried to seduce her fataha, her slave boy. You know, this, this young man that lives in her, in her home. She took almost as like a stepson, as like a foster son. How, could on, how, on, earth she could, how on earth could she do this? And they, they say that, you know, uh, that we find her in a clear error. They're all gossiping about how messed up the situation really is. Okay, and so when the wife of the Aziz, Zulaikha, she heard this, it says in the Quran in verse number 31, for those of us who are following along, verse number 31, Allah says, Okay, that when she heard about their accusation, when she heard about the accusations that they were making about her. By the way, no one likes being talked about, in a negative way at least, right? No one enjoys that. No one enjoys from a human standpoint, no one enjoys being talked about in a negative manner. So when she heard this, immediately she asked herself, how can I fix this? How can I basically remedy what they're saying about me? Right? Whenever we're the victim of gossip or slander or backbiting, the victim always thinks to themselves, how can I stop this? Even if you are wrong, even if 
the people who are speaking about you are telling the truth. And by the way, we learned this from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he asked his companions, he said, what is backbiting? What is ghiba? And they said, Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lamu, that Allah and his messenger know best. And the Prophet ﷺ, he says, mentioning your brother or sister in a way in which they would not like to be mentioned. And then the companions, they asked, Ya Rasulullah, what if what we are saying about them is true? And he says, that is considered backbiting. And if that which you are saying about them is false, it is considered slander. Okay? So we need to understand very thoroughly here that the definition of ghiba, the definition of backbiting, is not just to speak falsely about people behind their back. Even, so, even if it's true, the question is, would this person that I'm talking about would they appreciate being mentioned like this? Even if it's true. Even if something is true about their life. Will they appreciate me mentioning this to this circle or this public space? Whatever the situation may be. And so when she hears this, she, what it says in the Quran, أرسلت إليهن She sent for them. Meaning she invited them. Dawat, right? Azuma. This is basically what it means. She invited all of these women that were speaking about her behind her back. She invites all of them. Okay, that she prepared a banquet for them. All right. Now, one a really interesting thing here is that her intention was to clear her conscience and clear her name under any circumstance. Okay. So she invited them over to her house and prepared for them a banquet. So Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala an, he says, this is a famous commentary on the surah, he says that she prepared a sitting room for them. Meaning like there was like this beautiful kind of living space, dining area. She prepared this sitting area for them, which had luscious pillows and nice furniture and couches and whatnot to recline on. This was clearly a, uh, you know, a, 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 a space of leisure, right? She was a very wealthy woman. She owned a very wealthy home, obviously, with her husband, the Aziz. And she invited them all. And who would deny such an invitation, right? I mean, think about it. People deny invitations because they think it's not worth their time. Who would deny being invited to probably the wealthiest person's home in the entire city? Or one of the most wealthiest homes in the entire city? Even if you have no interest in going, you're going to go just to see what it's like. Right? And so she invites them and she prepares all this food that Ibn Abbas said it requires preparation. Meaning that the food was not already made yet. It was like a dawat in which kind of the, 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 the folks who are invited help prepare the meal. Right? I always want everyone to kind of think of like, a, like a, an Eid gathering. Where you know, some of, the, you know, some of the, the closer relatives or the closer friends, they go to the kitchen and they start helping chop some you know, onions or potatoes or whatever they may be. And they prepared the meal together. This was the situation. And Ibn Abbas, he actually says that she gave each of them knives to cut with. And so the food that she was preparing were obviously worthy of cutting. They were not prepared yet. And Ibn Abbas, he even says that there were things like, um, he says citron, which basically is like citrus fruit, right? Citrus fruit, like oranges and all these different things that were obviously very, very delicious, uh, you know, even now into this day. And... It says, وَآتَتْ كُلَّ وَاحِدَةٍ 
minhunna sikina that she gave each one of them a knife she gave each one of them a knife and the purpose of the knife by the way was not just to cut the fruits or the food as we all know now we know this obviously the people in the in the, the qasas the story do not because the people in the story, they think, well, we were invited by this rich, wealthy woman. She wants us to help her cut fruit and prepare a meal. We're all going to go, right? She has a plan in the back of her mind. Why specifically did she give them food that needs to be cut? Why did she give them sharp knives? We're about to find out here. And so as they were sitting, as they were sitting, as they were preparing to cut these fruits and, and, and vegetables and all, all these different types of food, it says that she called out, So she calls out, meaning, come out to us. Okay? Come out to us or come out to them. And this was obviously directed towards Prophet Yusuf. Who was obviously of an innocent mind He had thought that this entire situation was done and dusted and over with These people unfortunately are people who cannot let things rest easy And this is one of the biggest And I wanted to mention this very specifically today Is that there is a very serious disease of the heart Of people who even though a matter has subsided and, and died off we cannot stop, but, and this is where you get the phrase beating a dead horse. That phrase means that it's already done. Bus, it's over, right? Now it's time to chup, right? <laughs> Be quiet. But some people cannot let that happen. They have to, what they call, continue to beat a dead horse. Oh man, did you hear what happened a year ago? Bhaisab, this thing is over. It happened an entire year ago. All 365 days have passed. Let it go, right? But some people cannot let it go. And so Prophet Yusuf thought this was over. Let it go. It's done. It's done. It's over. But she calls him in. Come out before them. And she asked him to stay somewhere else in the house where everybody could see him. Okay? So at this point, they were cutting the, 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 the citron As Ibn Abbas says The citrus fruits And he comes out They saw him And they Akbaruna by the way This is probably familiar with some people If they think about this word In its linguistic context Akbar We say Allahu Akbar Meaning we're exalting God We're praising Allah We're calling him great And what they do here Ra'aynahu and when they saw him, akbarunahu, they immediately began to praise and exalt him. You see? So this is, by the way, um, almost like a, this is interesting because it, it, as people who, and I explained this about two weeks ago, as people who live in the methodology of sharia according to the Quran and the sunnah, we know that certain things are allowed and certain things are not allowed. We are not allowed to uh, basically uh, use that statement akbar to anything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to just general awe and worship, right? But these women were so inspired and so taken aback by the physical appearance of Yusuf alayhi salam, ra'aynahu akbarunahu, that they immediately saw him 
and began exalting him. The, they, they thought highly of him and were astonished at what they saw. Okay? They were amazed by him and they were astonished at what they saw. So as soon as they saw him, okay, as soon as they saw him, they began to cut their own hands. And this is not, you know, a, 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 this is not a hadith that can be disagreed upon. This is not a statement of the Sahaba that can be discussed. This is mutawatir. This is word of Allah. That these women began to cut their aidiyahunna, their own hands. Okay? And Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala an, he says that they started cutting their hands in amazement at his beauty. While thinking that they were cutting the fruits or the citron, the citrus fruits that Zulaikha had given them with their knives. And so they injured their hands while they were cutting, they were, they were thinking they were cutting the fruits and the food with the knives that they were holding. And other tafasir, and this is also another opinion by the way, and this is by the way something that people who start becoming more and more advanced in their understanding of the Islamic you know, uh, sciences, they start to not get confused about the different opinions, but rather they start to appreciate them. That there are different opinions about different things. And specifically, when there are certain accounts that happened thousands of years ago, there must be different opinions. Think about how many opinions there are about events that took place less than a year ago. Think about how many opinions exist in one location about events less than five years ago. Now think about something that happened over thousands of years ago in an area that was completely foreign to where we are right now. So obviously, differences of opinions exist. The other opinion by the scholars they say is that after they had ate and felt comfortable and after having placed the fruits in front of them, giving each one of them a knife, the wife of the Aziz Zulekha asked them, would you like to see Yusuf? So basically one opinion, I'll break it down very easily. One opinion is that she had surprised them all with his appearance. And the other opinion says that they, she actually asked them for their permission. Understood? Very easy to understand. Okay. She said, one is she surprised them without their, without their permission. The other one says that she asked them, would you like to see him? And they said, yes, obviously. And this, by the way, um, is a proof and evidence of the opinion that I had shared with you all just about 15 minutes ago about how the woman's intention of backbiting Zulaikha was actually, in fact, to get an invitation to the palace themselves. So they were almost anticipating it. They knew, some of them, you know, an opinion states that some of them knew that this was not any ordinary invitation to the home of the Aziz. There was some sort of uh, background and context to this. So she sent for him to come in front of them. And when they saw him, they began cutting their own hands. Okay. And this opinion also says that she had ordered him to keep coming and going. Meaning like, hey, come here. Okay, go ahead and leave. We don't need you anymore. A minute later, come back. Okay, later, we don't need you anymore. Okay, come back. Basically, almost like a, like a show, right? Coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. And he went back and forth and back and forth while they were still cutting their hands. When they felt... Uh, their pain of this cutting their own hands, they began to scream and she said to them at that moment, you did all this from one look at him, so how can I be blamed for what I did? So essentially, again, 
this is a very important point here, is that one of the most serious vices of any human being is not being able to own up to their sins. Yes? Because this is a very shaitani trait. That when shaitan was confronted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, well, after he refused to bow to Adam alayhi salam, he, shaitan, he says to him, he says, Right? You created me from fire, you created him from clay. So rather than own up to my mistake, I'm going to start now making excuses as to why I did what I did. Okay? That, and he even says in Surah Al-A'raf, Shaitan even says, he says, Well, you are the one that made me like this. Okay? You are the one that made me like this. You made me this personality, you made me this character, so how could you expect me to bow down to him? Now look at the polar opposite that a Muslim should follow. That when Adam salam was confronted by Allah Ta'ala for going near that tree that he was told to stay away from, what was his response? You see the difference here. The difference is very, very apparent and it's very important. One, when confronted with a mistake, starts to backtrack and make excuses for themselves. Saying that this is why I did what I did. I don't want to say sorry. I'm going to tell you exactly why I think I did what I did. And these are my excuses, take it or leave it. There's this kind of, we call this asl, like, like this root of arrogance that is located within these excuses, right? That a person who's giving excuses without having the ability to say sorry is a person who cannot get over their own ego. But a person like Prophet Adam salam who says, Rabbana ظَلَمْنَا anfusana." The first thing that he says, and by the way, this was said by other anbiya as well. Prophet Yunus alayhi salam, La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. Multiple prophets have said that phrase. I am the one who made this mistake. We are the ones, ظَلَمْنَا anfusana. We've, 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 we've oppressed ourselves. We've wronged ourselves. So, so the scholars, they mention, if the prophets of God can own up to their mistakes, then who are you to make excuses for yours? It's a very powerful point here that the scholars, they bring up. And so, Zulaikha here, you know, they, they, when these women became, began screaming from the pain that, that, that was coming from their hands, from cutting their own hands, she says, this is what you did from looking at him one time. Now imagine what I had gone through. And this is, you know, something that Islamically, principle-wise, we just don't agree with. We agree that there are reasons for why people do what they do, but when it comes to sin and wrongdoing, we never believe in making excuses before we actually own up to that mistake. That the only one that you should be almost explaining yourself to, and even that so in and of itself is within the istighfar, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh Allah, you know that I'm weak. Oh Allah, you know that I have a problem with this and this and this and this. Oh Allah, you know I have a weakness with this and this and this. Oh Allah, Arhamur Rahimin, please forgive me. This is more befitting of a Muslim. Not, oh, I did that because of this and this and this. Well, I think I shouldn't be punished because of that. This is not befitting of a Muslim. Okay? And 
At that point, the women, they exclaim, قُلْنَا حَاشَا لِلَّهِ مَا هَذَا بَشَرَ إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا مَلَكٌ كَرِيمٌ They say how perfect, they say, حَاشَا لِلَّهِ Like they basically like praise God, right? You know, like we, we even say this, that even people who don't believe in God, at some point or the other, they praise God, <laughs> right? I mean, even atheists, when they're in trouble, they say, oh God, right? Oh my God, right? Oh my God is such a slip of the tongue for so many people. It's one of the proofs. I mean, it's, like, it's more of like not a, not a substantial evidence, but it is something that people say that is a proof of, of fitrah, that you know, that you can't escape your fitrah. That when you call out, oh my God, like I never call out to something that I don't believe exists, right? I never say, oh my ghosts, right? Like I, I, those don't exist to me. So an atheist who, doesn't, who claims not to believe in God, they subconsciously say, oh my God, is almost like a, 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 an interesting proof that God is always, you know, existent in everyone's lives, whether you believe in him or not, Okay. And so they say, They say, this cannot be a man. This cannot be a man. This beauty is so beautiful that it's not possible that this is a human being. They refuse it. They refuse to believe that this is a human being. Okay? They say, That indeed, this is a noble angel. This is a noble angel. And Ibn Abbas, he mentions at that point, they told Zulaikha, they said, we do not blame you anymore after the sight that we saw. So now they're all in on it. You understand? So before it was Zulaikha versus everybody. And now it's everybody on one team versus Yusuf So the plot thickens, right? Because they saw what Zulaikha saw, they say, That this is a noble angel. They all essentially agree that this man is something out of this world. Okay? And this is, by the way, again, not to reiterate myself, but this is again where the proof comes of Prophet ﷺ saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave half of the beauty of all mankind or all of creation to Yusuf alayhi salam. This is confirmed in an authentic hadith. فَإِذَا هُوَ قَدْ أَعْطِيَ شَطْرَ الْحُسْنِ That Allah gave شَطْرَ الْحُسْنِ Half of beauty to Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. Okay? And one of the things to um, really make a point of here, and I wanted to pause here to kind of mention this, and this is going to rewire everyone's brain for a second, is that in the world that we live in, beauty is almost viewed as this huge benefit, right? Do we all understand this? Like we live in a very appearance-oriented world where beauty is everything in terms of value because anything that is not beautiful is not something that anyone wants to look at. Whether you talk about people, you talk about you know, merchandise or inanimate objects, whatever it may be, human beings are attracted to beauty. This is a reality of our, of our creation. Human beings are attracted to things that are beautiful. Now, there's nothing wrong in that. It's all about how you go about it, right? But one of the points that I wanted to make here is look how fascinating it is that a characteristic that we all deem as very beneficial, in fact, is Prophet Yusuf Alayhi greatest challenge. Understood? 
That if the average person sees Yusuf alayhi salam and they say, oh my goodness, like how lucky of a man. How, how, how amazing. His, his life must be great. We'll get married to the most beautiful person. We'll have the most beautiful children. We'll have the most beautiful job. We'll have the most beautiful home. All of these beauties will just naturally just kind of go over to him because of how beautiful he is. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested him with the thing that people praised him for. So a very fascinating thing to think about, right? That, that, that it's not always what it seems. That beauty is something that is not always things that we should actually focus our attention on. And this is where we get that famous hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu where he says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ سُوَرِكُمْ وَأَمْوَالِكُمْ وَلَكِنْ يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ وَأَعْمَالِكُمْ Or in another, in another riwayah it says, نِيَاتِكُمْ Okay? Where he says that Allah does not look at your suwarikum, your, your physical appearance, nor does He look at your amwal, your money. Rather, Allah looks at qulubikum wa a'malikum. Rather, He looks at your heart and your, your deeds. And another riwayat, niyatikum, or, and your niyat, your intention. It's very important to note here that, you know, how can a man who has so many dunyai benefits go through such, such tests in his life? Who on earth ever said that money and beauty? are things that should go unchecked. The more money you have, and this is where we get the phrase, more money, more problems. Right? You got more money, you got more problems now. The opportunity for problems have just kind of crept into your life that when you were a little bit more broke, you didn't have those opportunities before. Right? Now you have the opportunity to invest in like haram things. Before when you were broke, you had no money to invest anyway. Right? You know, when people, and this is why I tell like our young people, our youth, you know, every, every young person at some point in their life go th- goes through severe self-esteem issues. Why? Because bodies are changing and facial appearances are changing, mindsets are changing, and the biggest thing for them is, oh my God, I'm not good looking. I'm not this. I'm not that. People are talking about me. And I say, enjoy. Enjoy your stage of your life because one day there will come a time where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you something that's beautiful. And it will actually not come at, 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 a, at a free price. It will come at a price. Your soul will be tested. That first moment that, you, that someone calls you beautiful, what do you do because of it? Do you just kind of shy away and say, Alhamdulillah, I'm not going to pay attention to this? Or do you just chase your own flattery? Do you chase your own praise? Do you chase your own compliments? It's a very, very, very important question to ask ourselves. And so at this point... Uh, you know, they, 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 they say this, you know, إِنَّ هَذَا إِلَّا مَلَكُ الْكَرِيمِ That he is a noble angel. And at this point as well, uh, that this is, and, and Zulaikha says, this is the young man about who you blame me for. Okay? And she said these words to them, Ibn Abbas says, she said these words to them so that they could excuse her behavior for a man who looks this beautiful and perfect is worthy of being loved, uh, she thought. And again, this is just a, an, another, another, you know, hammer, a nail, nail, nail in the coffin uh, on the point of not to reduce people's values to your own desires. And, I, and I'll share this very, very openly and bluntly, that there's a very serious problem when we look at a person and we only think about what they can do for me. Because this is literally what Ibn Abbas said. 
He said that the, she excused her behavior for a man who looks this beautiful and perfect is worthy of being chased after in her opinion. Why? Because there's something that alludes to my, my own desire here. You know, when I, when I befriend this person, am I befriending them because they will basically make me a part of this exclusive group of people? I had a hard time tapping into this societal, social kind of, you know, standard. And until I made that friend, I had a hard time getting in there. But now that I have this friend, I can go to all these dawats now. Even though I drive like a Toyota Camry, I cannot go to the dawats where everyone drives a Tesla. Right? My, my, my home is only three bedrooms and two bathrooms. But now that I've tapped into this friend, now I can go to these houses that are like five, six bedrooms, five bathrooms, marble countertops. Everything's beautiful. It makes me feel good. We have to ask ourselves, are those relationships relationships that are actually good for us? Are those intentions clean? Or are there personal, very, very selfish reasons of why we are making friends with the people that we make friends with? And so at this point, she threatens Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. At this point, she threatens Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. She says, or actually in, in, in the previous ayah in 32, she mentions, she says, that this is the young man about who you did blame me. وَلَقَدْ رَاوَدَتَّهُ عَن نَفْسِهِ فَسَتَعْصَمُ فَسَتَعْصَمَ And I did seek to seduce him, but he refused. I did seek this, but he refused. And Ibn Abbas, now this is so interesting, the Qur'an is so interesting. He says that this only fueled even more about the, the, the temptation of Prophet Yusuf salam. Not only is this man physically beautiful, but also his morality is good. So this solidified it for them. And so at this point, she threatens Yusuf salam. She says to him, in lam yaf'al. And if he refuses ma amuruhu, that if he refuses to obey my order now, he certainly will be cast into the prison. Okay? He will be indeed cast into the prison, and he will also be minas sagirin. He will be of those who are as sagirin. And the word sagirin comes from the word sagir which means like small or belittled, okay? So she's saying that this is the one who, who, you, who, who you spoke about when it comes to me. I did try, but he refused. And if he refuses to obey my order again, he will certainly be cast into prison. This is it. This is the final ultimatum. If he refuses again, he will surely be cast into prison. And he will be of those who are minasagirin, of those who are belittled. He will not be remembered ever again. Okay? Basically, she's threatening to completely erase him from the memory of everyone around him. Okay? And this is where Prophet Yusuf in verse number 33 makes a very profound dua. So Prophet Yusuf in 33 of Sultan Yusuf, he says, قَالَ رَبِّ السِّجْنُ أَحَبُّ إِلَىٰ إِلَيَّ مِمَّا يَدْعُونَنِي إِلَيْهِ He says, Oh Allah, prison is dearer to me than that yad'oonani, 
than that which they ilahi that they that they tempt me to or they invite me to. Okay? And in fact, some of the scholars they even say even a more beautiful way of translating this ayah would be almost like a dua. Oh Allah, make the prison more beautiful to me than what they invite me to. Understood? So one translation is, Oh Allah, my, my Lord, Rabbi, prison is closer to me, more dear to me than what they invite me to. And the other opinion of the translation is, Oh Allah, make the prison more dear to me than what they call me to. Okay? This is a very, very beautiful uh, dua. And it continues, he says, uh, And unless you turn away their plot from me, Okay? Wa illa tasrif anni he says, and unless you turn their plot away from me, I will surely be inclined towards them and be one of those who are called a jahilin. And this is a huge point here, by the way, that a prophet of Allah is saying in his dua, that, oh Allah, unless you help me, I will surely fall into this, 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 this possibility. So where does that put you and me? Because we're thinking here that Prophet Yusuf completely on his own, he can withstand sin and stop himself from committing mistakes. And his own words here, he says, and unless you turn their plot away from me, I will surely be inclined towards them and be one of those who are ajahiri. So even one of the greatest prophets of Allah is admitting to him that without him, I am nothing. That without Allah Ta'ala, I am nothing. That I can't even stop myself. The ma'asum that we spoke about, that all the prophets of Allah were given, the protection, it's only because of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that they were given that. They weren't just naturally ma'asum. They were given that by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for a purpose. Look at the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was protected for a purpose. And that purpose was fi sabilillah, and so the message, the message of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala was clear and without any doubt, la raybafi. And so, at this point, it says Allah Subhanahu wa Taala fastajab lahu, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala answered him, istijaba. In Arabic, means to answer, right? And one of the things that you know is important here to bring up is what what what. What allows for a dua to be answered? Fastajabalahu. Because it says Allah answered him right away. Allah answered his dua. Rabbuhu. Okay? Fasarafa anhu kaidahunna. And turned away from him their plot. Innahu huwal sami'un alim. Indeed, he is the one who is all hearing and all knowing. So, one of the things that is really beautiful to kind of think about how to have du'as answered, is look at, just read the past 10 verses and see how he handled himself. Not just the du'a, because everybody focuses in on the actual verbal statement. Because everyone's like, oh, I made du'a for this job. I made du'a for this job, but I didn't get it. I raised my hands after Fajr Salah, and I asked Allah to accept it. But maybe a more important question would be, what was the quality of that Fajr Salah? Maybe a more important question to ask would be, what did I do the night before to beautify the dua that I asked the morning after? It's not always just about the verbal statement that you make. A person can say, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, 
you know, give me this and give me that or make me of this and make me of that and allow this and allow that. But all the surrounding factors of that dua may not add up to that, that beauty of that verbal statement. I can make the most beautiful dua standing here in the masjid, but I could have committed a huge sin before. And that dua clearly did not mean much because I didn't care to actually circle it and, and surround it with things of beauty that would also please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you look at the previous 10 to 15 verses, you see why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Prophet Yusuf a way out of his ordeal. It was not just because he said, Oh Allah, Allah prison to me more beautiful to me than what they call me to. It was because the moment that she tried to tempt him, immediately he says, Qala Allah. Oh Allah, help me. And then after that, I ran to the door. And after that, I, told, I, I, I spoke of my innocence. And then after that, I hid the sin. I didn't publicize it. And then after that, they even continued moral to do, to, to do, to do immoral things with me. And even after that, I, I resisted temptation. And then finally, when the ultimate verdict came that either you go to prison or you do what I tell you to do, he says, Allah protect me from what they call me to. And Allah says, فَاسْتَجَابُ لَهُ It's a pattern. It's not a one-stop shop where we can expect miracles to take place because I said one thing. And this is where I get from one of my teachers that dua is not a restaurant order. You're not paying Allah to answer a dua for you. That's called Catholicism. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a really messed up joke. You know, like it's, it, it, it's not like Confession Wednesdays where you go to the priest and say, you know, I've done this and I've done that, so forgive me for everything I've done. And you're just like, okay, sounds good. See you later. This is a process. There's tartib to this. There's a procedure that Muslims need to follow in order for those du'as to be accepted. And so this indicates, you know, and, and one of the things which is really, really beautiful, and we'll inshallah mention this because I know Isha is at 8.15 and I want you know, people to have enough time to enjoy the appetizers we have in the back, inshallah. Um, one of the most important things here is that Yusuf alayhi salam was, you know, even though he was ma'asum, he was a human being. And he preferred prison rather than accept this kind of temptation. And this indicates the best and most perfect grade in this case for Yusuf was youthful and beautiful. But even his biggest test in his life, he in fact uh, resisted from it. Okay. And so verse number 35, we'll inshallah end with this. It says that in verse number 35, ثُمَّ بَدَلَهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا رَأُوا لَا آيَاتِ الْيَسْجُنُنَّهُ حَتَّى حِينَ That after all this had occurred to them, after they had seen the proofs of his innocence, to imprison him for a period of time. And so Yusuf was sent to the prison for a period of time, even though he was innocent according to the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? We'll find out insha'Allah in the next few verses. And one of the most incredible things here, and then we'll end with this uh, insha'Allah, is to remember that Yusuf alayhi salam is a man of integrity. There's a very famous statement, and I'll kind of, I'll, I'll paraphrase it. Is that a person who stands for nothing will fall for everything. A person who stands for nothing will fall for everything. That a person who has no morals or values or a code of ethics, if they don't have any of that, the moment that temptation knocks at the door, immediately that person falls right away. 
Because that person doesn't even know what they believe in. And this is why it's so important to teach our young people. And inshallah, and I say young people because hopefully my, 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 my hopes are that the adults have this within their hearts already after these many years of wisdom and experience. But younger people, it must be cultiva- cultivated and developed. That you abide by a moral code and an ethical code. And if you don't have that, you don't have much, to be quite honest with you. So the moment a random non-Muslim comes to your door or comes to your phone and texts you, says, hey, come to this party. Hey, why don't you just, you know, sneak out? I know your parents are going to be mad at you, but why don't you just sneak out? That moral code will prevent you from doing things that even your heart desires. That moral code will stop you. You don't think that Yusuf had a little bit of an inkling? There is an ayah. It went both ways. But he never, never gave in. Because that morality is unshakable. It is absolutely unshakable. You can kill me if you want to. You can imprison me if you want to. I will not stop from what I believe in. I will stand my ground. And this quite literally is the definition of what we call istiqama. Steadfastness. Standing your ground. Staying where you are. And I gave this analogy to a couple of students a few weeks ago saying that a Muslim is a person who when they walk through high winds, they don't ever lose sight of their destination. A person who lacks that morality and that, 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 that you know, code of ethics and values, the moment the wind strikes them, I'm no longer going north, I'm going east now. I forgot what north even is. But for those who stick to it, they may get swayed. I'm not saying that they're not going to get swayed. Winds can sometimes be very, very strong. They will vary over the years. But that person, even if they get swayed a little bit to the east, they will continue back towards that one route. It's almost like an elastic band. Think about it like that. An elastic band can be stretched, but that elastic band, when you let it go, always will come back right into the middle. So this is something that inshallah ta'ala we will end with. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to learn from his ayat. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of the people who learn from his Qur'an. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not allow this Qur'an to be a hujjah against us, rather for it to be a proof and an evidence for us on the Day of Judgment. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us all istiqamah, steadfastness in all of our endeavors in our life. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to never ever allow us to sacrifice our deen and our values and our morality, because this is literally what we have, and this is what we are made of and who we are. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for any of our mistakes, whether they be major or minor. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu